Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer Podcast. Today, I'm doing a little bit of a different interview. We're interviewing Lisa and Zoe Paisley, or the Paisley Twins, who are the co-founders of Aggie Global. They're working with remote community members in Fiji to alleviate poverty and address food insecurity. Their work to connect farmers to customers is needed now more than ever, with the tourism market shut down and consumers stuck in quarantine unable to access fresh produce. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really exciting to be here. Um, yeah. So hopefully throughout this podcast, you can tell who's who. But for reference, I'm Lisa. And I'm Zoe. So fingers crossed you can tell who's who. <laughs> okay. All right. So what what happened in Fiji? I mean, you mentioned about one in three people lost their jobs. Yeah. So what's happened with the pandemic is that tourism has been the main employer for Fiji for who knows how long. Uh Um, And Fiji has a population of just over 900,000. And I think it's about 350,000 people were working in the tourism sector. Um, So when COVID hit, the majority of these people lost their jobs and their main source of income. Um, so it's kind of made the economy crash a little bit. People can't afford food, um, and all around people are just struggling, which really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let, let's say like right now, the U S is pretty much mostly open to back up again. Is Fiji still <laughs> completely closed down or are they starting to, um, what's happening there now? Well, it's quite interesting with that. Um, they went a whole year uh, and March until March with like no COVID cases. So they were doing incredibly well. And then mm-hmm. just earlier this year, so only a few months ago, uh, they had their first kind of community transfer. And from there, it's kind of escalated. I think yesterday they had 96, 98 cases yeah. in one day. Um, so they have like the total count of over 500 in the community and it doesn't really seem like it's going to slow down um, mm. for yeah. multiple reasons, yeah. Which kind of sucks because we were, we're Australians uh, and we live in Australia because while well, we came back to home to Australia during COVID and we're actually discussing about travel bubbles with the Pacific. So now we have no idea when we're going to get back. Um, mm. It's quite difficult for obviously the Fijians over there. Um but we're hoping they get under control. They're doing lockdowns and everything. So, yeah. Fingers now, crossed. what's the status of the virus there? Oh, sorry, the uh, vaccine there. Mm, they're doing their best to get vaccinated. So they've set up kind of mass vaccination hubs at hospitals and schools and things. Um, but I think like everyone, as soon as you don't have cases for like three months or something, everyone just calms down and gets pretty lax about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so pre getting these community cases, people weren't really thinking about getting vaccinated because they've been pretty sheltered before that. Um, so yeah, now there's a huge rollout to get vaccinated. It just still takes quite a bit of time. And I guess if you're not in a city, um, so if you're in one of those remote villages, it's quite hard to get into the city to get vaccinated. Mm. So yeah. All right. Well, let's dive back into the work that you're doing. And so you mentioned the remote villages. Talk to us a little bit about the economy slash the uh, makeup, because I know Fiji is, is relatively, there's some, obviously the city, but there's also a lot of remote aspects. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So obviously you have tourism, which is a big part of the economy. Um, But on the flip side of that, you have a vast majority of the population living in these 
remote rural villages where their primary source of income is from the land. So you have all these families growing their own food and kind of sharing that amongst their own community. And should they have any excess, they then sell it off to the nearest market. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to like formal like selling of the produce, I would say, uh, for a farmer in a village, they have to drive down maybe like two hours to their market um, and then they'll sit there for the day and try to sell it. And it's quite an interesting dynamic because if they go down to the market and they're trying to sell it and they don't sell enough, then obviously the bus fare has yeah. cost them more than what they would have sold. So it's quite interesting. Oh, and plus if they're selling like that, then they are out a day of work. So, I mean, I've been to Belize and seen, you know, sometimes you hit these speed bumps and every so often you see speed bumps, there'd literally be someone with a little tiny stand set up either. Mostly they're selling juices and fruits and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I can assume that this is kind of similar, maybe more, you said more of a market setting, but they're just sitting there waiting for people to come by and buy stuff. Yeah, essentially they're just sitting either sitting by the side of the road like that example or they've gone to a fresh fruit and vegetable market and they're just manning their store hoping someone will buy from them not the other farmer sitting next to Mm -hmm. them kind of thing so yeah it's very unpredictable and it makes it very hard for them to work out um their finances and kind of predict yields and all this kind of stuff because they just don't know what the market is doing there's not a lot of knowledge around that Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what kind of crops they're growing in Fiji. Yep. Um, a lot of them are still very traditional crops. So you'll have lots of cassava. So that's like the staple root crop over there. Um, and they'll also grow like a few like eggplants for vegetables and things. Um, Tomatoes, cabbage, bok choy. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. Okra is there, which I yep. think you guys might have a different mm-hmm. name for in the U.S., um but yeah so kind of everyone's growing the same thing Mm. which obviously leads to market flooding again um Mm. and Fijian Fijians have a mindset where they want to stick to what they know um like a lot of people and that's fine but it does lead to this continuous cycle of having the same old crop um and not a lot of diversification um which makes it an interesting market to work in okay gotcha so talk to us a little bit about what you guys started working on Yep. Um, so obviously we came into Fiji and we saw these issues about farmers not knowing what was in demand and having market flooding and things like that. So we first went to Fiji early 2016. It's just like a placement, getting to know what's going over there. Uh, and then in 2018, we actually moved there and we started doing market research and really talking to the locals and the farmers and also buyers further down the track. So what we found, obviously, the farmers were struggling with market flooding and not knowing what demand there was. But then on the other side, the buyers, so those in the tourism sector, had no idea about what food was actually available locally. So we kind of came into it and were like, these people aren't communicating. uh, And we wanted to create a transparent food supply chain where the buyer would actually know what is locally available at any given time during the year. So that's where we came up with Aggie Global and all about um, building their e-commerce market, uh, e-commerce platform and marketplace online where people could just look and see what was available. But before that as well, we're looking at education and workshops, uh, really helping the farmers understand not necessarily how to grow their crops because farmers do know that, they're not stupid. They do know how to work their land and get the crops and the yields, um, but making it a bit more tailored and efficient in some ways but also doing looking at value-added crops so 
even just this year, we kind of went back to workshops. And this year we did a workshop on goat's milk because there's a local, one of our buyers is a cheesemaker and she's kind of desperate for looking for goat's milk. And in Fiji, everyone has goats because you have native Fijians and Indo-Fijians, both of genes, but the Indo-Fijians have a whole bunch of goats because they it's just part of their culture yeah. I guess <laughs> anyway there's all these goats everywhere in all these villages and so we were like do you ever milk them we're like no we only like use them for meat or whatever it is so then seeing all these goats and making the connection of we have demand from this cheese maker for goat's milk mm-hmm. uh we had a workshop all about how can you actually milk goats and what does that mean and who are your buyers and how can you prepare that milk for that buyer mm-hmm. so we kind of do two different aspects um both the education side around what is in demand from buyers and educating the buyers about what's locally available. Uh-huh. Okay. So what kinds of products then are farmers listing in here? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a wide variety of things. Mm. So we really started out by trying to find some unusual products. So rather than going with those traditional cassava, eggplant, tomato kind of crops, um, we started out with honey and beeswax because buyers were struggling to find that and things like that goat's cheese Zoe was talking about or even edible flowers there's a group on Tabiuni Island and they have a whole garden that's organically grown and they come up with these amazing bright flowers that you can eat you can make it into tea cocktails and all sorts of stuff um so yeah just basically doing the hard work for the buyers to find and discover these more traditional or unusual kind of foods out there um, and then posting that online and trying to help these farmers sell it and tell their story. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm looking through the site now and I'm seeing everything from fish to mm-hmm. um, beeswax, the mushrooms, yep. um, honey, all sorts of things. As you said, the flowers, very cool. Mm-hmm. So what was your, what was your process to start reaching out to farmers? Did you have experience with, you know, meeting some of these farmers? And, and the other thing was the technology is how are you getting them to start moving th- things online? Are they open to that? Is that an education process? Mm, um, the technology piece is quite interesting, um, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, when we started out, we were living in Singatoka Valley, which is basically the salad bowl of Fiji. Um, and how it works over there, uh, it's super laid back and chill. So you can basically walk down the street um, and see a farmer and he'll invite you into his home uh, for some tea and have a chat, essentially. Um, so the whole first few months of being in Fiji was literally just having these down-to-earth conversations with these farmers to really understand their challenges and what they needed help with. And we did that by walking up and down Singatoka Valley Road. Um, and Which just is having, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's a stunning um, area of the country. Um, and, yeah, just having a chat with the farmers and getting to know them and their problems. Sometimes we would do village meetings, um, which Talanoa. would, yeah, which would involve a Talanoa, which is basically like a welcoming ceremony where the village chief will welcome you in and you present them with a gift and this kind of thing. Um, so that was always really lovely to kind of get more farmers and hear more people's stories rather than just doing that one-on-one conversation. Um, and then following up on that with the technology side of things, uh, the e-commerce platform only really started picking up because of the pandemic, which is kind of a good and a bad thing. Um, great for us, but a bit sad to see at the same time, because 
e-commerce is a very new concept in Fiji, mm-hmm. um, especially for farmers. So when it comes to getting these farmers up online, we do a lot of the profile making and that kind of thing for now, like the storytelling and getting that voice and that products onto our website. Um, but we're just in the process of shifting that to put it more on the farmer end. So we're working on some workshops and education tools to help guide them in that process and get them more technological literate, I suppose. It's not that they don't understand a smartphone and things like that. It's just an entirely new concept and they do need a bit of a helping hand to get it up and running themselves. It's more about uh, how can they use this for their business and for their farm and getting their products um, to a new audience. But I guess in a way that's really where we step in and we help market them online. And a lot of the farmers are very excited by it. They Mm. use uh, Facebook and social media all the time. Like everyone has it. So they understand kind of the value that uh, we can give by having their products online. So they're all excited by it. But yeah, there is some training and education around what does that look like online and how can they do it themselves? So. Yeah, I know, you know, thinking about things like inventory management, all of that mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So how have you set up delivery? Do someone place an order and you have a special delivery day or h- how does that work? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early days, we would kind of do it as once we got an order, we'll just send it off as soon as we can. Um, but now we're being more strategic about it, I guess, more planned. Uh, and we do deliveries every Wednesdays and Fridays but we have to pack the day before. Um, ideally, we would pack in the morning, get it delivered the next day, but the freight company we work with does their deliveries overnight, so it doesn't quite work like that, unfortunately. Um, but one day we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also, like, early days, it's quite easy just to be like, oh, we have an order, let's get this product out to them. Mm. Um, so for us, it's a great way to start because you just get it done kind of thing. Mm. But um, with COVID, we pivoted, from looking at the tourism industry, obviously, because that's kind of shut down, uh, and looking at individual buyers and providing fresh fruit and vegetable boxes, so pretty much home delivery of produce to individual consumers. Uh, with this, we had there's been a whole bunch of lockdowns over in Suva, which is their capital, and they don't have access to be able to go to the grocery market or the fresh fruit and veg stores in person. So that's where we had huge demand for these boxes, and we had, I think, in three days or something, we had 60 orders for these boxes. And so that's where we had to get a bit more regulated about what days we actually sent out the boxes. Because if we weren't organised and had a bit of a plan, we kind of would miss all these orders and not Mm. be able to get them out. So that's where we'll switch to just the Wednesday and Friday deliveries instead. This podcast is brought to you by Steward. And Dan Miller, CEO, is here to talk about what kinds of things should you get loans for on your farm? So we get all types of requests for loans. There's definitely uses that are much better better than others. Um, Clear, measurable improvement in your business, whether that's revenue or expenses, is the best thing for a loan. You know, land is often common for loans. No one's expecting a farmer to buy land all cash. So the the traditional loan in agriculture is to buy land. That's nice, but at the end of the day, you need other aspects of your business to, to grow. I find land is definitely important for the long term, but I don't think it's the first thing that should be the focus. I generally find equipment to be the highest leverage uh, use yeah. of funds because you can clearly see how it's going to drive more revenue or save lots of time. 
and it can be moved and relocated most of the time. So something that's movable, that's flexible, that's not locking you to a piece of land, but that can clearly drive revenue, I think is, is what people should look for because you wanna make sure that that funding is gonna now increase revenue enough that you're gonna be able to support it. We do see requests for working capital and operational funding. I think that's important paired with, with equipment. You know, mm -hmm. We're gonna do some fencing, we're gonna do delivery van, and we're also gonna spend a few thousand dollars on marketing or our website. But the problem with just borrowing for let's say labor is you have nothing to back it up, you know, you have nothing to secure it against. And so I find working capital loans can often be uh, very difficult and challenging. So we find a kind of a mix of a, bit, a little bit of operational funding, um, a little bit of equipment, you know, maybe a $50,000 loan, 40,000 of its equipment, 10,000 is operational funding. That seems to be the biggest driving factor for the growth yeah. of the farm. And then later they can buy land, but often if they get a huge loan for land early on, they don't have the capital to then fund the yeah. actual operations of the business and they get stuck uh, behind on payments and, and with revenue not as high as it needs to be. Yeah, and I think that operating is so key right there because it's one thing to get a whole bunch of shiny new equipment, but if like for our hoop houses, there's labor to put those up, there's labor to you know, assemble all that, to get that, you know, get crop in the ground, all of that, um, seeds, you know, uh, soil, heat, even that kind of stuff is really where it can kill people um, if they don't get that upfront along the way. And it's really stressful. And, and it's all blended. And, and that's why it's so hard to navigate funding because yeah. there's funding for land, funding for equipment, and then these kind of credit lines, but they're not, they're not mixed. So oftentimes you get approved for loan and then, okay, we'll fund this piece of equipment, but none of the labor that's needed to use it, or we'll fund this piece of land, but not the actual operation yes. on top of it. And so that kind of segregation of funding makes it hard for farms because the farm is an integrated business with assets behind it and an operation on top, which means you can generate a lot of cash flow for the funding. But if you, if you don't have all those elements together, so, I mean, soil is a classic one. I mean, most banks don't fund bringing in or soil because, well, yeah. you know what, they can't auction it off necessarily, <laughs> yeah. but at the end of the day, it's needed for the farm. And so you kind of get stuck in this box of, uh, of needing something. I mean, that, that's much of the reason why, why Steward was created of let's create funding design for what that farmer needs, not for what the box is of the product yes. that, that lender offers. Absolutely. All right. So talk to me about the process. Did some, an order come in and do you have the product in stock or does the farmer then deliver the product to you? And then um, you said you work with a, a post service? Yep. Yep. Um, so we're trying to uh, work on a demand driven market, I suppose. So we'll get the order first and then we'll order in the product from our farmers. So we get our order, we give our farmer a call and we say, hey, we need five kilos of honey when like one, do you have it in stock at the moment? Um, and two, when can we come pick it up? Or could you come and drop it off at Latoka or meet us somewhere kind of thing? And usually the farmers uh, will come to town and meet us there, which is amazing. We're more than happy to see them there. But um, most of the time they come to us, which is cool. So as soon as we have the product, um, then if it needs to be repackaged or kind of put in a Tupperware container rather than just a plastic bottle or whatever it happens to be, um we'll repackage it and then we'll ship it off so yeah it's kind of fairly straightforward i would say um and or yeah demand driven okay so and then you're just writing the farmers a check or is it direct to how does the um monetary system what are they used to over there mm -hmm. or is it just pay out with cash 
-hmm. Yeah, that's also a very interesting question. Uh, we have a lot of farmers that will pay through M-Pesa. So it's a... Mobile payment? Yeah, mobile payment, essentially. So they will use that to top up like their phone credit and things, but you can actually pay people from like via their phone number instead, which is super helpful because obviously yeah. being in contact with farmers, you just have their phone number. So it's an easy way to do that. Uh, bank accounts and things like that is interesting as well. When you're working with really subsistence and small scale farmers, they generally won't have a bank account. So that's where we have to do a lot of cash. But I think nowadays with COVID and things like that, we've really pushed cashless payments and a majority of farmers are fine with that. Um, if they're not, we obviously transfer the money to our employee and that employee will take out the cash and then pay the farmers in person. So nowadays, majority is bank transfers, I would say. There's still a little bit of cash and a little bit of M-Pesa. So. Gotcha. Very interesting. Now, the average farmer you're working with, what size of land holdings are they, um, they working? Uh, generally in Fiji, they're only working on... Uh, one acre yeah. of land so it's all pretty small scale it's essentially just backyard farming because um, it, it is that subsistence model where they grow what they can for their family and if they have any extra they'll sell it off at a market or to us so yeah gotcha so relatively small and then how mm. do you, how does your um how does the business make money do you is it fundraising you take a percentage of sales how does that work mm -hmm. It's kind of a mix of both things. The majority of our money does come from a percentage of sales, um, but we keep that as low as possible because we want the majority of the money going back to the farmers. Um, and we're completely transparent with our buyers um, and we let them know that we only add 20% onto whatever the farmer is selling just so they're completely on board with what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've just launched a crowdfunding campaign where people outside of Fiji or Australia can support us and our work. Um, and that basically works on a monthly subscription anywhere from $5 to I think the highest tier is 125 AUD. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just to help us get a bit more cash to support our work. And then we can do like free consultancy with our farmers. We can host more workshops and those kind of things. Um, yeah. So there's two key forms of revenue for us. Uh-huh. All right. So talk to us a little bit about, um, I noticed you feature, uh, you know, the women farmers and uh, just kind of work and try to help build that as well. Talk to us about that part of this. Um, it's quite interesting with, like, it's been very unintentional almost, <laughs> I would say. We kind of just looked at the numbers, like the percentages and the demographic of our farmers one day. And we're like, hey, like, over 70% of our farmers or whatever the number was are female, which works out about um, there's not female farmers in general aren't really empowered to control what goes on on their farm in like developing countries and things like that. So for us, that was like a huge positive um, women are the ones that will take care of the family and villages and things like that. So having them being the ones in control of the farm and earning that income is really awesome. And they also bring a whole bunch of different ideas. So we've had one woman and she grows moringa, which is mm -hmm. moringa orchid, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. And she'll make a powder out of that. And then you can use that powder in like perfumes and soaps and things like that. And so, even in teas, because I think yeah. it has 
a lot of health benefits it from does. what I've heard. I haven't, yeah, I haven't done the research, so don't quote me yeah. on that. Um, yeah, we had someone on the podcast that t- that grows moringa and was telling us all about it. So oh, awesome. oh that's so cool. We'll yeah. have to listen to that later. <laughs> yeah, so I think it we kind of stumbled into that space, and it's the same with organic farmers as well. I would say. of our farmers use organic practices. They might not necessarily be certified because they can't afford that, but they're not using any synthetic chemicals that would making their own pesticides at home and doing composting and things like that. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. And I know one of the things, especially if you're coming into a new culture and changing things, women tend Mm. to be more adventurous and be willing to try new things. I find, um, us guys are like, you know, we're just going to make it work and we're just going to keep doing the way we've always done it. So (laughs) I think that's one of the advantages you're finding. Yeah. I think you guys can be a bit more stubborn and particularly with us being women as well. I think it's easier to relate with people of your same gender. Um, especially when you're coming from completely different cultures. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just been a very interesting experience. And like our team, we've hired two females in Fiji who are doing all the groundwork for us, like packing the boxes and organizing deliveries, talking with the farmers. And yeah, it was just coincidence that it happened to be two females again. So yeah, it's quite funny. I think maybe we have an unconscious bias, but I mean... If we're helping these women, I'm happy with it. So. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So talk to us, like um, you said, the, the the cases are rising right now. So I think things are a little bit in um, flux over there. But what do you yes. see happening right now? I mean, with the obviously now you have the new marketplace. Are you actively reaching out to trying to get new farmers? Um, are there any, uh, is tourism coming back at all? Or is that still pretty much on hold? Mm, I think until... COVID calms down in Fiji, tourism is going to be on hold. And even probably six months after this wave is over, it'll probably still be on hold. Um, So that's my expectation. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be reality, but we'll see. Um, So I think Fiji does need to adapt to this new way of life where they can't rely on tourism to be the primary income earning sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we're excited to push agriculture and be like, hey, if you support your local farmers, like you can build up this economy mm-hmm. and it's all like cyclic and everyone benefits kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited to be part of that movement, I suppose. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of um, push by the government as well to be getting into agriculture as that backyard farm to help those that were unemployed actually be able to grow their own food a little bit. I'm not sure where that's gone now because this was like really early days when travel was first restricted in 2020. Mm. Um, But it's still exciting that there is this motivation behind getting Mm. back into agriculture and kind of supporting yourself through your land and growing your own food. Mm. And for Fijians as well, there's a lot of culture and tradition behind that, which is really awesome for them to be able to reconnect back to that. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I guess from here, what we're hoping to see as well is more of that digital uptake because mm. um, we wouldn't be doing e-commerce if we didn't think there was potential in the Pacific for it. Um, so we're kind of hoping COVID pushes people to try it and then they can be like, oh my goodness, shopping online is really easy. It's super convenient. Why can't I apply this in other aspects of my life? Um, and look, if they only buy from us once and then they don't find it useful, that's totally fine. Um, but I think it will be cool to see this technology movement in Fiji, both on the farming side and the consumer side. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how are you out, uh, reaching new customers with the, the program? Are you doing ads or how are you reaching the, uh, the end consumer? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is just from our Facebook page. So a lot of it is quite organic. Um, all of a sudden it went from three, well, maybe not all of a sudden, but over a period of 12 months, it went from 300 followers to about 3000, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of just kept organically growing. And that was just by posting up pictures of what products we had, telling our farmers stories and those kind of things. So we did use a few ads to kind of get a bit of awareness or when we're pushing for a certain product, um, but most of the time, if we post up a picture of some of our prawns, let's say, um, people get super excited and then the orders kind of start coming in, which mm-hmm. is a huge surprise, but it's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> I would also, yeah. to add on top of that, we have tried to do a few different kind of marketing. We did a show on like Fiji TV. Uh, I can't remember what time last year, maybe mid last year or something. And that was really great because it was on national TV. It showed our um, employees and how we're working with the farmers and it showed part of the farmers and the produce that they grow and told a bit of their story, uh, which was really, really awesome. And from that, we got a whole bunch of leads as well. Mm. More so on the farmer side, I would say. People being like, oh, my goodness, you do training in fish farming or Mm -hmm. hydroponics or pineapple farming. Can I join your community? When's your next workshop? And those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think... When it comes to marketing, you just have to experiment to see what works for your particular audience. Um, so we've used Google Ads before as well, but we find the conversion rates just aren't there. It's super expensive and we only get like one, maybe two sales. So, yeah, you just have to do experiments and see what works for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we found that organic reach on Facebook is tremendous. I mean, we'll post mm. Um, right now we're, we're ending up strawberry season. So there's only a few left, but like, um, last night, nine o'clock, I posted <laughs> that we had 50 pints left and I woke up this morning and we were sold out again. So yeah, that's <laughs> nice. awesome. yeah, yeah. Help. It's, it's, it's helpful that it is strawberries and they're only a short season here. So people are a little yes. desperate, but, mm-hmm. uh, that organic aspect is, is really great there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's, what's the future hold? Talk to us a little bit about where you see the direction of the, um, of the the business moving? Uh, Interesting question. I think at the moment, we're probably going to be sticking strong with the home delivery of fruit and vegetables over in Fiji, just to be able to support the families Mm -hmm. that have unemployed people or in lockdown, whatever it is. So I think that's our kind of goal and kind of streamlining that, getting more people on board the tech side and getting accustomed to buying online, as Lisa Mm -hmm. had mentioned. And then the other half to our business, um, when COVID did hit, we obviously came back to Australia and Sydney and we're back home. And I don't know how much of this you know, but 2019 slash 2020 was really hard for Australian farmers. Mm-hmm. They've been going through droughts. Um, we then had Black Summer, which were these crazy bushfires that it, they were just hugely widespread and they kind of decimated a lot of farmland. And then we also had flooding up in northern Queensland and Australia is crazy. (laughs) Anyway, we came back to Australia and we had known all about that. And we really wanted to just give back to Australian farmers because we're like, you're our community. You are like, this is where we're born and bred. So we started up Aggie Global over in Australia. And last year we were testing different options. We looked into the home delivery service, but Australia being more developed market, they already had that and it was huge competition. So 
we kind of gave up on that idea and instead looked at gift boxes. Okay. And these gift boxes are all about local, um, unique local foods and everything. And it includes bush foods. I don't know if you guys know what this is, but it's indigenous foods um, that are native to Australia. So you've got like finger lines, which are these really bizarre looking things they don't look <laughs> nice um, but, but then you crack it open and it's got these little caviar bores um and it just tastes like a normal lemon and lime um so they make a really cool garnish you can put them in guacamole to kind of put have these bursts of yeah. citrus flavor and all mm. this kind of stuff so um yeah so i guess the future holds for us like fleshing out that australian side of the business because mm. we know that Indigenous growers aren't well represented mm-hmm. in the bush food sector. They only grow about 1% of the food in that area, but it's all from their traditional knowledge. So we want to kind of elevate them and showcase the Indigenous growers growing these bush foods um, and tell our story a bit better. So, yeah, for over the next 12 months, we're going to be really focused on refining our Australian arm and working out how we can benefit these Indigenous growers where we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so cool. So uh, anything else you'd like to leave with uh, us with before you go? I know you talked about the fundraising, so share a little bit more about that. That's just to help the business get more um, capital, right? Yeah. So it's to get more capital so we can do more things essentially. Um, but a big part of it is providing these fresh fruit and vegetable boxes to families in need who can't afford it. Um, and also just empowering our farmers through training and education some more. Because uh, all these workshops are done for free. We're not really charging the farmers at the moment because they can't afford it. Um, so, yeah, you can jump on Start Some Goods website and you should be able to find Aggie Global's uh, crowdfunding campaign there. Otherwise, you can always follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all those cool things. So, if you look up Aggie Global, you should be able to find us. Yes, and that's A G G I E global.com, all one word, um, yeah. just to make sure people know that. Perfect. Well, thank you both for coming on. It's been awesome. And um, thank you for working with the, the time schedule too. I know we had to kind of create a different spot because of the crazy <laughs> uh, difference in uh, time zones, but um, it was great to be able to chat with you and uh, keep up the good work. It's awesome to see folks working with, you know, getting more farmers products, especially those farmers, which aren't as tech savvy as, um, as some of us in the U S um, try to be as it were. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. And I appreciate you guys' time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us and yeah, finding the time to chat. It's been a really nice chat. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.